Hey folks, if you've been listening along, you know that much of this season has been spent deconstructing some of the ideological language that we tend to use when discussing spirituality. This started with a weekly discussion group that we spearheaded with the help of Michael Gunger and the liturgists, and the purpose of that group was to offer perspective to one another. In fact, we called it a humanist perspective. And we spent each week picking apart things like faith, belief, community values, and especially community acceptance. Not to apply the ideology of secular humanism to all of those concepts, but to reframe the pillars of institutional spirituality so that they can sound a little less dogmatic, because many of us are taught early and often to apply conditions to how we belong and how we are loved. The two clips you're about to hear are an accidental example of what we hope to achieve with our weekly group. The first clip is an outtake from an early recording session, probably sometime in 2020. And I think it illustrates how unconditional love and unconditional acceptance are these illusory concepts that we're always striving for and always trying to believe in. But it feels almost impossible to really believe in them and to really feel them without first defining what they are not. The second clip is a more recent one, an outtake from our humanist series, where unconditional love is redefined and repurposed as something closer to radical empathy, something we task ourselves with rather than something we're always waiting to feel from others. So first, I want to thank the liturgists for holding space for us. But if what you've heard in these episodes is interesting to you and you'd like to be a part of these conversations going forward, we're still meeting every Thursday night. You can visit theliturgist.com for more information or send us a private message on social media or send an email to blackmarkettherapypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to join in on these talks, we'd love to have you. Enjoy the show. You know, we, we both read that Pete Holmes book and he talks a lot about unconditional love and how a lot of Christians are raised in a system of expectation and a system of conditions under which you might only learn to feel loved once you yourself are acting in servitude, because that's when you feel deserving. And what we're supposed to be taught is that God extends unconditional love, and with his commandments, he teaches us how to reciprocate it, it's not serve me and then I'll love you. It's I love you, so serve me in this way. So for about a year now, I've been meditating on this idea on and off of unconditional love and why it's always been so, it's a fascinating concept to me, but it's always been so hard for me to like really engage in and really see as, really visualize it as, as being true in my life. And then the other night, something happened. This just popped into my head. Unconditional love does not mean unconditional trust. Oh, shit, that's good. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you cannot trust somebody to house sit for you because you know that all your gold will be gone when you get back. I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. everyone has gold. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. <laughs> the point is you're still supposed to be able to love that person as yourself. The point yeah. is you're still supposed to be able to respect them and recognize that they are also human. And to recognize somebody else's humanity is to as to recognize their divinity that they were also made by God. And to recognize their divinity is empathy. 
You treat them as you would treat yourself. You may not trust them as you would trust yourself, but you love them because they are the same as you. And that's what unconditional love is. So separating those two things blew my fucking mind. Yeah, that's real good. Yeah. How like would you define cool. love in that? I don't know. That's that's still something that I'm working on. I know that I've experienced romantic love. I know that I've experienced platonic love. I know that I've experienced relational love. It's always been very hard for me to conceptualize unconditional love, including loving that which does not serve you, loving that which does not feel like it's a part of you, because those are the people that I can't trust. Those are the concepts that I can't trust. Those are the actions and the expectations and the potential behaviors of others that I can't trust to not betray me. But what I need to learn, and what I've begun to learn, I suppose, is that I don't need to trust those things in order to respect their place in the universe, because their place in the universe is just as valid as mine. Yeah. Now that's fascinating, man, because that's... When you think about it, trust is is just data. I mean, it's just... I don't think trust is supposed to be bestowed unconditionally upon everything, because it doesn't necessarily make logical sense to trust something you've never experienced, but that thing still has a right to exist. For me, that's where that differentiation happens. Like, the very few people in this world that I can say I probably come close to truly hating, who have hurt me profoundly, they're still human beings. They still have a right to exist. I will never trust them to come within a mile of me, but that doesn't change their right to be a human, you know? They're kind of mutually exclusive things, though, because trust is something that can be constructed, so it's something that can be destroyed. But love is something else. I meant to ask you, too, so what we mentioned unconditional love and unconditional acceptance a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't think I believe in it. Oh, so okay. what that what does it mean? Because a lot of people believe in it, and a lot of people talk about it positively, like it's something to achieve. And I don't think I don't believe in it from like a pessimistic place. So, but I'm curious. I've never really considered the actual definition, and like as I've said, I grew up secularly, so I never had any you know spiritual understanding of things like unconditional love, whether you know from a god or something like that. So am I missing something (laughs) or is it just a difference of perspective? It was brought up a lot at the meeting too. And that's what sort of got me thinking about it. I wanted to ask then, but it didn't feel like the right type of conversation contextually. So that I don't say way too much. Do you not believe in it interpersonally? Or are you Um, wondering what it means from a deity? I guess either one, because I don't believe in it. Pick one or I'm going to talk for 20 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, I guess to keep it more on message, I would say interpersonally. But uh, my question is more whether people's idea of interpersonal, unconditional acceptance is informed by a deity's example, or if it's two separate things. Mm -hmm. I was listening to How Did This Get Made the other night, and they were like talking about some dumb Christmas movie. And June Diane Raphael doesn't believe that if uh, if you if there's unrequited love and that person gets together with somebody else, 
She doesn't believe that you can be happy for them while still being sad for yourself, right? And the other two, Jason Menzoukas and Paul Scheer, the other two hosts of the show, were trying to convince her, like, what? No, you're a sociopath. Like, <laughs> if you care about somebody and they end up with somebody who is good for them, even if you have those feelings for them, you're happy for them. Yeah. Even if the conditions that you wanted to be met weren't met. Yeah. Now, obviously... There is still the condition that that person is in your life and you are friends and like you were given the opportunity to get to know each other. And it's not just a person that you love unconditionally because the conditions that led to that love in the first place were offered to you, you know? Yeah. When people speak about unconditional love, I think a lot of people mean it more as a statement about humanity and less interpersonal but that's not always true a big realization that i had a while back is that unconditional love does not mean unconditional trust okay that's a good one you know i i i had your exact same argument i said to a friend once like i don't believe in unconditional love and she said listen i would bail my cousin out of jail <laughs> even though i don't trust him for shit but i do <laughs> love him because he's family yeah, yeah you know like if he needs something i'm there for him but again that's yeah. family the condition of family is already there and that's what I mean. Yeah. It's yeah. like what's it's not to debase like conditional love by saying like I'm not saying there's no love. Yeah. But it's like I think the idea of conditions, you can get really annoying with it from a philosophical standpoint. Like you can get very close to the trying to prove existence thing. Mm -hmm. But I think there are conditions everywhere. We interact based on conditions. Well, so I'm trying to point out conditions that lead to us loving one another yeah right yeah like you have to be introduced to a person you have to have some sort of experience with that person or some sort of relationship to that person all of that is kind of sort of tied up in like somebody else has relation to you and it affirms your relationship in some way an unconditional love is more about an acceptance of another's being without their existence or without their relation to you affirming anything. Okay. Does that make sense? It does. But so what is the, what does the love verb look like in that case? Ah, okay. Because I think that's where it stumps me sometimes. You can think romantic love, like you can come up with a thousand different expressions of what that type of love looks like. So even if you're not, like even if all you're doing is, like briefly illuminating the outlines of that love every time you give somebody a flower or a ring or a kiss or whatever, mm -hmm. you can at least assume that its existence as you've defined it is there. Same with platonic love mm -hmm. or, you know, love of the planet or something like there's a tons of different type of love that you can demonstrate through your actions and your sentiments and such. But unconditional love has always stumped me in that way. I think at least it stumps me in as much as it can be considered a virtue. Because any time I've seen somebody like, you know, a, a Gandhi-type figure demonstrate something that seems like it could be close to unconditional love, yeah, I see them as, uh, as sick, which I know sounds incredibly cynical, but I see it as somebody who's just prey. Mm -hmm. Not my prey, but, you know, the prey of the human race, like, just because you're willing to lie down that's not necessarily a virtue. It can mm. be. But if that's what we're all striving for, then like, good God. Well, first of all, I think that when people use the phrase unconditional love, it's never 
as romantic love. Okay. Because romance would be a condition. Yeah. Right? You can love somebody unconditionally who is a romantic partner of yours, and then once you're no longer romantic, you still love them, not for the romance that they offer you, but for their being. You know, not for what they do, not for what they believe, but just for their being, you know? Yeah. It's easier to, to get to that place when you've spent enough time around a person that you know their warmth, you know their presence, you know their their essence. So speaking about unconditional love outside of a romantic context, about love at all outside of a romantic context or about love outside of a relational context. Yeah. It's more about putting a great deal of faith and a great deal of compassion into the essence of the human race as a whole. Like no matter who the person is, there's light in there somewhere. Okay. Like everyone has their darkness. Some people have their evil, but there's light in everyone. Yeah. And so like to a certain extent, unconditional love is also about empathy. Yeah. You know, and like recognizing that everybody has different pathologies, but the same right to happiness, the same right to be loved. Yeah. I mean, even if somebody has done evil deeds. Yeah. Even if somebody does have some wickedness in them, do they have the right to be loved? And I think that's kind of like the first stage. Yeah. Even the most evil person in the world, this is what I truly believe. Yeah. Even the most evil person in the world, the most wicked person in the world, is you with a different pathology. Yeah. This is a controversial way to put it, but I like putting it this way. We are all of us one brain tumor away from being a pedophile at all times. No, I've heard that too. Yeah, like I've seen that in a few books and things. That yeah, and I believe it as well. I mean, I think like that. That's why the ideas of certain I don't know moral philosophies and things like certain ideas of ethics, like some of that stuff gets a little bit lost on me as far as it being what holds the world together. Because I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, this isn't. If you can get a TBI and suddenly become an entirely different type of being, yeah, then maybe your system of morals is bullshit, yeah. and maybe that's one, the actual problem. <laughs> one railroad spike away from being Phineas Gage. I know it's like that's like, <laughs> like Jesus. That's that says a lot, you know. And it's <laughs> yeah. So no, I I totally am on that same page. Um, yeah, but I think the you know, so there are con the conditions as. Um, insofar as you are like related to somebody or have relation with them, those conditions are like, this person deserves my love because. Yeah. Or like, I deserve to be loved by this person because. Yeah. And removing those conditions looks like everyone deserves love. I don't have to actively try to be in love with any of them. I don't have to yeah. actively try to love them. But the deeper you can ingrain, everybody deserves love and everybody is a different version of, of me. If you look at yourself as I deserve love or I want love, anybody you see has roughly the same chances of ending up at that feeling, right? Like roughly the same chances of ending up with whatever traumas you ended up with. Roughly yeah. the same chances of ending up with, of ending up needing love the same way that you need it. Yeah. And their stories went a different way. That makes sense. I like that. Like um, connecting it with empathy like that honestly, yeah. makes it a lot easier to conceptualize. That's how I conceptualize it. I don't know. Like a, a good spiritual teacher would put it a much different way, I'm sure. 
but <laughs> I'm not a spiritual teacher. I don't strive to be. But my understanding of of unconditional love is is that it's you know it it starts with recognizing that like no matter the deeds of anybody, they deserve love. And no matter the deeds of everybody, they started out in this world with the same exact core needs. Yeah. And some of them weren't met and some of them were and everyone ended up on their own path and everyone ended up with different degrees of like what we would call conventional goodness or conventional wickedness in their lives. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the person that they were when they were born isn't still in there. Yeah. So I'll leave it to the gurus and the spiritual teachers and the whoever's to do it more actively. But to me, unconditional love is about recognition. Yeah. And not necessarily love as a verb. Okay. No, that's cool. That's Yeah, yeah I hadn't thought about it that way. Did I talk for 20 minutes anyway? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good though. I mean, that's honestly like, it's a good way of kind of reframing it. Cause I've been thinking about it for like two straight weeks, like just trying to yeah. figure out like, why the hell do so many people that I respect and enjoy their writing and, you know, people who are infinitely happier and honestly haven't been completely fucked up by the world. How do they get away with believing in this? Like, it's truly stumped me, but I, that's a kind of, yeah, that, that clears up some stuff about it. Cause yeah. I was perfectly willing to land on the place that I'm just not enlightened enough to like, it could very well be a personality flaw, but it's something that I'm like, yeah, but I can't like figure it out. But is that the same as a uh, unconditional acceptance then? Like when we've had community related discussions, whether it's with the group or just out in the world, um, when people talk about reaching a community where there's unconditional acceptance, is that what they mean as well? Or is that a different thing? Yeah. In terms of, in terms of the recognition, yes, I think so. What I, what I want when I say I want unconditional acceptance is, I don't know, it's, it's tough because like, I believe that all any former evangelical wants is to go into a church and say, I don't believe this anymore. And for whatever community leaders in that church to say, that's okay. You are just as deserving of love and you are not going to burn in hell. Yeah. Just to be affirmed that way. Now, if you don't believe in God anymore, what are you doing in a church? So there's a cognitive dissonance to it. Yeah. <laughs> that is, I want unconditional acceptance from community, but the condition that I believed wouldn't be accepted isn't a condition that would present itself in any other community. Yeah. But it's impossible. It's I'm not, not impossible. It's like the hardest thing to unlearn because it's like this wouldn't be applied anywhere else, but it's applied in perpetuity <laughs> in my brain <laughs> because... All of the things that I was asked to commit myself to and asked to actively believe in order to belong to a community are things that if I unlearned them, I wouldn't have any place in that community anymore. So unconditional acceptance might be something that is never needed. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I mean, probably not, but like, I think it's rare to see a desire for it outside of somebody who's had those experiences. Yeah. But it could be as well, you know? It could be like, I'm sure people of color have similar experiences. I'm sure like people of various identities have similar experiences where like they haven't felt like their particular identity 
is as accepted as it could be within community. Yeah. It's different when it, when you get into the ideology parts of it. Yeah. And it's different when you get into like the racial parts of it or the gender identity or um, sexual orientation parts of it. Like there are a lot of people who haven't been accepted in the ways that they wish to be accepted. But like, I think it, it is, it does go hand in hand with like, you are just as deserving as anybody yeah. of love and of being accepted. But when you're talking about the church, you don't need that acceptance anymore <laughs> because you're not a part of a community anymore that demands it. Yeah. So it traumatizes you in a really weird way. So is it something where like maybe it extends towards the past more than it extends towards the future. Like I, it reminds me the way you've described it in this case, almost of, um, you know, that mirror treatment for like phantom limbs where you clench a fist and then you unclench it and it allows you to kind of feel like a release on that phantom limb. Cause the, it sort of realigns the neurons that are responsible for that. Is it sort of like that where like, you're just looking for that unclench? You're not actually looking for a, a community in the tangible sense. You're looking for, all the wreckage to be forgiven and the pain to go away, or at least the pain to mean something, not go away in like a reductive sense, but in, you know, that fist unclenches finally. And the fist is clenching you? No, it's just like you're, you've exited the church, kind of this ball of like anxiety and uncertainty and, and pain and rejection. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm, you just mm -hmm. want that limb to stop screaming. Mm-hmm. It could look like that for some people. For me, it looks more like I feel like somebody else is gripping me. Mm. For me, it feels like there's like my needs are contingent upon my adhering. That's childhood stuff, you know. So for like for other people, it could look different. That metaphor doesn't line up so much with my personal experience, but I can't speak for other people. No, it's interesting though. It's just the way that the term unconditional acceptance was thrown around during that particular conversation. It was about this theoretical community existing where that was going to be a thing that there was as opposed to communities that were happening now or communities that had burned people badly where that was not a factor. Yeah. So yeah. This sometimes I just wonder about that being like, I don't know how practical a condition that is for like locating a good future community. And I don't mean practical in the sense that like people are being irrational, but more just like, are you looking for something that's more, you're trying to define a part of yourself or you're trying to better understand a trauma versus you're looking for a characteristic in a future community. Mm. I, I don't know how to ask that question yet. And again, it might be yeah. entirely subjective. It might not be the kind of thing that you can like write a guidebook about, but it's like, that's where I say I don't necessarily believe in certain aspects of that because I go into every social interaction or every community interaction as though it's conditional mm -hmm. because I feel like if the conditions are completely okay with all of us, then it's, I don't care if there's conditions. I, in fact, I feel better that there are. Mm -hmm. And I mean, your explanation of um, unconditional love honestly makes me understand a little bit more why I'm comfortable with that. Mm -hmm. Because I think I do believe in the type of unconditional love that you described. I think I was just working off a very woo-woo uh, understanding of it before that I rejected. <laughs> but like, <laughs> I, I think in this case, the conditions are kind of, you know, a prism for the unconditional love in certain ways. Like they're little mirrors you can hold up to people to bring out more of that humanity. Mm -hmm. And I find that that's something that allows me to feel 
like socializing is worth my fucking time, honestly. Because mm. a lot of times it's a pain in the ass and it's scary and it's tiring and it's, I don't know, it's sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's not. And it's like, you do things like that, like you set up the right conditions in a community and it all of a sudden becomes a little bit safer, a little bit more worth it, a little bit more restful because it's sort of like bylaws. It allows everybody to go in with the same understanding in a much more acknowledged and spoken way mm -hmm. where it's like, this is the kind of scene you're, you're entering here. Is that cool? Mm -hmm. It's a consent thing in a way. And I think that's a very healthy thing and it's not utopian, you know, it's something you can attain right here, right now as you are with who you're with. And if it ceases to make you feel safe or satisfied, you can fuck off with impunity. Yeah. And it's a working inward thing, you know, because there a lot of people in my life have been people who like are not affirming of my identity, you know, mm -hmm. not that they actively disaffirm it. Yeah. Is disaffirm a word? I've used that a few times. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I'd love to I mean, make it sure. Feels like I'm going to keep you. Yeah, that's fuck it. Um, check, but I think it's a word. <laughs> yeah, not that not that there are people who reject my identity, but just like I'm an acoustic guitar player, and this guy only listens to ACDC. Yeah. So, <laughs> what business do we have in a room together? Well, we're both people. You know. Well, we don't have to build my relationships off of people who will actively affirm my identity. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I've gone through like very misanthropic phases where I just like want to be alone and get reclusive and I'm bothered by the people who I don't have anything in common with. But it's a moving inward thing. You can not recognize somebody's relation to you as valid or healthy or productive or anything like that at an external level. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that internally and in inwardly you don't both have the same capacity to love each other. Okay. Christ, maybe I do believe in that. Yeah, I think an easier route to this at the very beginning would have been <laughs> internal versus external. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, because that is totally, that's always the thing that, like, when I get really philosophically lazy and I feel like, fuck it, maybe today's the day I'll just say I'm a nihilist or a misanthrope. Like, that's always the thing that, shows me that it's a fallacy or shows me that like I still have a little bit of energy or something like it's just like okay this person pissed me off that doesn't mean humanity has changed its course or something that's just one aspect of one person irritated me in one moment that means yeah. nothing yeah but I, I, I really like looking at it more of like inward looking and empathetic I think that's that's a cool vantage point to view it from mm -hmm. it's a little less uh guilt inspiring too you know because sometimes <laughs> have you ever had that experience where you read like certain spiritual teachers or whatever and you just kind of feel like a piece of shit or you sure. just feel angry yeah not at them just like oh man compared to this too, like i'm not I'm saying that at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, it's nice to look at things this way because th this is where it's always felt like sometimes in my most optimistic moments I'm like this maybe this elements of this is what people mean and in other moments I'm like I don't know but it's, it's cool though it's it's a good middle ground I think yeah, yeah.